All right, welcome into an Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And Eric, um, we're going to talk basketball on this one because as the season kind of gets going, the first couple weeks it's non-conference games. You're not really playing anyone super big, even though for Oregon's sake, this year at least, they've played a very difficult opening schedule. Um, but Thanksgiving's kind of around the time when College basketball starts to come into bigger focus, and that's because of Feast Week. That's all the non-conference tournaments that are all over the place. There's the Maui Invitational. Uh, this year for Oregon, it, it's going to be the Battle for Atlantis. And then this this is a field in which uh, Oregon is playing in the Bahamas. Uh, the, the tournament starts the day before Thanksgiving and then ends uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. This is a tournament where I, I I've always loved Feast Week. I've always loved watching the Maui Invitational. I've always loved watching the Wooden Classic, uh, for whatever reason, that one. Uh, there's the 2K Challenge, all of these things that go on. And I've watched these for over a decade now, and I can't recall a tournament that has the feel that the Battle for Atlantis has this season because you you literally have some of the best 20 teams in the country in this event, you have Oregon, which is 11th in the country. They're taking off Seton, taking on Seton Hall Wednesday night, who's 13th in the country. Oh, by the way, North Carolina, who is sixth in the country, they are playing in this game, in this tournament. Gonzaga, uh, they are eighth. They are also in this tournament. You've also got Alabama, which was close to receiving votes. Michigan, which is receiving votes. You've got Iowa State, which is receiving votes in top 25. And you've also got Southern Miss. And this is an, an absolutely incredibly loaded field uh, of games. And so it's gonna, we're going to learn a lot about this basketball program. We're going to learn a lot about this college basketball season uh, where Oregon stacks up in that. Uh, and I think we've also, you know, we'll dive into to the battle for Atlantis a little bit at the back end of the show. But we've got, we had a couple questions that were sent to you and I and, I think it was they both made sense to answer. So let's let's get to these questions first, and then we'll we'll dive into Battle for Atlantis. Yeah, we had a couple extra questions that were hoops related from our mailbag Wednesday podcast. So these are questions from that uh, from from those questions. So let's start here. This is a good question from at March Madness eighty three. Heading to Atlantis on three point attempts, Oregon is or Ducks are shooting forty three percent, and opponents are shooting twenty one percent. Neither of those numbers will hold up, especially on the opponent shooting. When reality sets in, where do the Ducks need to step up most? Limiting turnovers, creating turnovers, defensive rebounding, etc. Matt, I will let you take that one because uh, you've been following this team a little closer this year because I've been kind of on the women's basketball coverage. But what, I, I think that's a good point. Where, where do you think Oregon needs to step up most in, in this tournament? I, I think it, it starts with rebounding. Um, they've struggled the last couple of games either for a half or – for the entirety of its game to rebound the basketball uh, against Houston, Oregon led by 20 points with like four or five minutes to go in the game. Um, but that could have been a game in which Oregon led by 30 or 40 points. Had Oregon been able to rebound the basketball and not allow second chance opportunities. I mean, it, it, there was a stat at halftime where Houston had something like, I want to say 25 30 points and over half of those points came off of second chance uh, points where Oregon just could not rebound the basketball and Houston was able 
to flip it up and in and, and get a second opportunity and convert. And so that right there is, is your concern. Now, there's a great possibility with that because Oregon's issue right now is they, they have rebounding concerns. Uh, they, they're not blocking a ton of shots, but really it hasn't, you know, Rim protection hasn't been that big of an issue yet. We'll, we'll see what happens this week in, in the Bahamas. But you're, you have the ability, as strange as it sounds, uh, they're expected to add five-star and follow Dante in about three weeks, two and a half weeks. And if Dante is as good as we would expect him to be and he can assimilate himself into the program and give Oregon 10, 15 minutes off the bench, you're now all of a sudden adding – a six foot eleven five star recruit that's known to rebound the basketball and defend the rim could be you know the piece that solves the the small you know few holes that Oregon has on their team right now. So I think going into this tournament, you want to you want to see how does Oregon handle uh, playing against as athletic teams as Seton Hall, as potentially Gonzaga, as potentially North Carolina, and. How does the rebounding stack up when when the, the opponent that you're playing is as athletic as you are? The second question we had from a listener from at Ingleson A, is this year's men's basketball team going to play a lot like the team did last year at the end of the season? By that I mean winning games, playing great defense, and just getting enough offense to win. Or will this team be better offensively? Um... I, I think they're already better offensively than than they were last season. I mean, just look at the, the the opponent, the quality of opponent that Oregon has played this season, and you will see a group of you know really, really, really strong teams. I mean, Fresno State typically KenPalm.com. It's an analytics website. If you're in the top 100, that's considered a very good win or a good win. And Fresno State and Boise State. And UT Arlington are all, you know, 125-ish top teams. And all it takes for them is just a couple wins and against a semi-quality opponent and they might sneak into the top 100. They have two top 50 wins, which is, are very good wins, uh, against Memphis and Houston. And you look at the, 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 the numbers that Oregon's putting up though against these quality opponents, 71, 106, 82, 67, 78 and last year's team it was a struggle for them to score in some of these games and the 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 manner in which they played it was ugly and it was inefficient and they just could not find ways to 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 have a smooth game and yet Oregon's doing that so I don't think scoring at least right now um scoring is not an issue for Oregon it's can can their defense continue to hold which they've They've played at a very high level. Their defense ranks in efficiency 32nd in the country. Their offense is 14th. Uh, their effective field goal percentage defensively is 12th in the country. Uh, they are very good against the three on, on defense. They're second in the country in three-point percentage, and they're seventh in the country in made three-point percentage offensively. So they are very good at making threes, and they are very good at preventing threes in this year's team. But he's, you're kind of right in that, they're going to win because they play good defense, they play efficient offense, uh, and they rebound the basketball. Now, the rebounding the basketball, like I said just a minute ago, that's kind of the one kryptonite right now. Can can you solve that? Because if you do, I think this team goes from being a, a really good team to being 
a really high level elite basketball program that could potentially be in play for a, a two or maybe even a one seed in the NCAA tournament down the road. Just a couple questions for you, Matt, because, and I'll, I'll be kind of that, that listener that maybe hasn't followed into that much closely with the men's team right now because I've been focused on football and, like I said, the women's basketball program. Would have been, let's say, one player who has surprised you the most and then maybe an aspect of how Oregon has gotten off to this 5-0 start that has surprised you the most? Um, from the player that's really surprised me, uh, I, I think it's Anthony Mathis because I looked at Mathis and said, this is going to be a guy that could potentially not start once, you know, everything gets figured out and, you know, CJ Walker could show up and push his way into the starting lineup. And once Paul Dante gets here, do, do, does Oregon go big and, and go Dante and Okoro with, uh, Justin at, you know, at the forward spot. And I, I think through the first five games of the season, Anthony Mathis to me is maybe the most important player on the team because his ability to hit three pointers, which he's, by the way, shooting 64.5% on the season. Uh, he has made 20 of 31 threes. So it's not like he's just not shooting a lot. You know, he's shooting a lot. He's shooting six threes per game and he's making four of them. Per game, uh, that's, just, that's, that's just that's insane. And the, the the manner in which he's making them, from how deep or how quick of a release he's shooting, all very impressive. So I think Mathis has kind of elevated his game a little bit. He's a lot better defensively than I was expecting him to be, and just the overall threat to stretch the floor um, that has opened up everything else. Peyton Pritchard's getting to the lane, uh, Chris Duarte, Shakur Jusen getting to the lane. So. Mathis is three-point shooting a lot like the impact that Oregon got out of Tyler Dorsey his sophomore year. Timely threes, spaced the floor, kind of really created a ton of matchup problems for opponents' defenses. We're seeing similar things with Mathis. Yeah, what I was going to ask you, does it feel like, and I had kind of a similar perspective on Mathis coming in of like maybe he won't start, maybe he will. Does it feel like he has an actual shot at getting like maybe drafted if he can continue to shoot like this? Because I just think of someone like, and I know obviously they're different players because there's a height discrepancy, but like Cam Johnson, who was selected 10th, Matt's going to love me for bringing up the Phoenix Suns draft, but, <laughs> but he was selected 10th by the Suns this last year, was a guy who like, for a while it kind of felt like, well, all he does is shoot threes. He kind of just feels like a specialist. There's probably not much NBA potential for him, and yet he goes 10th overall, and Matt might still think there's not much NBA potential for him, but does Anthony Mathis feel like somebody who... Maybe we kind of slept on his possibility of being a pro, but if he can continue to, like, if he finishes the season shooting even 47, 48, like high 40s, like, do you think he could be a guy who actually maybe is looked at as, as somebody who could actually stick on an NBA roster just because he can shoot it so well? I don't know. I mean, he's not the biggest player. He's only right. six foot four and 180 pounds, and he's not, he's not, like, he doesn't have point guard abilities to his game he's not even averaging one assist per game this season you know it's almost there at 0.8 but at the same time like he's only in his career he's only gone over one assist per game once that was last year he averaged 2.1 as as a sophomore he averaged one Uh, 2016-17 when he played 10 games and got a red shirt he averaged 0.8 his freshman year it was 0.4 so he's not a guy that he doesn't turn it over all that much though. Um, but I, I just, I don't see it. Maybe in the G League, maybe he finds himself in the G League, but look, 
when you can shoot like he can, someone's going to pay you a lot of money, whether that's in the NBA, whether that's in the G League, or whether that's overseas. Mathis is at a point right now where he's putting himself, you know, as as long as he continues to do this, he will he will make a lot of money. I just I just don't know at what level he will he'll do it. He'll he'll certainly get a look though in summer league. I mean, he will he will find himself on a summer league team uh if if he can do this. And maybe he needs to go and look at a guy like JJ Redick and and see how did Redick survive uh this long in the NBA and can he replicate that? Cause I mean, that's kind of maybe, I mean, I think Reddick was maybe a little better ball handler, but that's kind of, that's, that would be the kind of the comparison I would give, right? Yeah. I mean, just in terms of a guy who can really shoot it, who's maybe a little bit undersized and, and not a top tier athlete, I think that would be fair. I'm not sure he's even quite the shooter that, that Reddick is obviously he's one of the best all time, but yeah, I, right. I, that's kind of what I was getting at is like, could he be somebody who just because he can shoot the ball? I mean, the numbers he's putting up right now are insane. I mean, 60% through five games. Five games is a smallish sample size, but it's not small enough where you can say, like, he's not going to shoot it in the high 40s or mid 40s all season. Um, I, I just think that's pretty impressive. And the last question for you, Matt. Um, Oregon brought in, a, you know, this highly rated recruiting class. Obviously, Dante is not playing. Um, of the three true freshmen that have been playing, Luke War, we should mention, is also redshirting and he's not played either. What's been the biggest surprise, would you say, from the, the three incoming freshmen, Addison Patterson, Chandler Lawson, and C.J. Walker? Um, I think part of it is Chandler Lawson's a lot better than I was expecting him to be. Um, I looked at him as a guy that's like, okay, like, he, he may he may play five or so minutes per game, maybe even redshirt. Uh, he's averaging almost five points a game, four rebounds. He's shooting 52% from the floor. He's making the free throws when he gets there at 80%. He's actually the third, you know, third highest free throw percentage on the team. He's playing just 16 minutes a game. He's playing really well. And I think, I think he's going to be a guy that even when the follow Dante comes back, he will still play a good amount of minutes. I think Addison Patterson, uh, he didn't play a lot against Houston. Dade Altman said that was his fault. He needed to get him out on the floor a little bit more. Um, his first game was not good, uh, for Oregon when, when he, he, he just could not shoot the ball very well. I don't think he even scored. Um, but since then, he's had 17 points against Boise State. He had seven against Memphis. Uh, he had nine against UT Arlington and he had just one point in five minutes against Houston, but that was Altman said he just didn't, he got lost in the rotation and didn't play him. That was Altman's fault. Um, I'm impressed with his three point shooting though. Um, he's made a couple threes now. He's gotten, his shots gotten better already, even in just a small sample size there. I, it's, it's a little, they're a little bit different, but I really feel like Addison Patterson is going to have a career arc, uh, similar to a guy like Dylan Brooks. Cause he's, oh. he's, he's a bigger guard. He, he, Finds ways just to get to the rim. I mean, I, I think a lot, he's shooting 63% from the field. A lot of his stuff comes because he's either matched up against a slower big guy that can't guard him or he, he kind of just goes over the top of a smaller guard that doesn't have the size to deal with his length. I mean, it's not the most athletic looking play. It's not the prettiest layup or, or dunk or what have you, but he just finds ways to score. And I think if, you know, Brooks had a, had a really solid freshman year, and I think part of that was because he had the start and Oregon didn't have a lot of bodies. But 
you know, same, they're same size. They're both 6'6". They're 195, 200. Brooks was probably a little bit heavier than Patterson is. Um, but, you know, Patterson's having the luxury of being kind of slowly brought along. Doesn't have to come out right away and, and, and star. And so it, it wouldn't surprise me next year if Patterson all of a sudden goes from, you know, five to eight point score to a guy that averages 13 points per game as, as a sophomore for Oregon. Um, CJ Walker, he struggled and this is one in which he just has to have the maturity to understand like, Hey, Oregon's playing a really difficult schedule to open this season. There, there hasn't been a single cupcake, gimme game, buy game, whatever you want to call it. You know, game Altman and every other coach out there calls them developmental games. When you play Northwest tech of Chicago state, and you are favored by 35 points, and the game is over by halftime, and the whole second half is just getting your younger guys tons of minutes, tons of floor time to, to get adjusted and run through stuff. Like, Oregon hasn't played that game yet, and we're five games into the schedule. We're going to play eight games, and Oregon is not will have not played that kind of an opponent yet. That's how difficult Oregon's schedule is this season, and so you hope that, C.J. Walker has the maturity to understand, hey, we're playing some really high-level games. It hasn't clicked for me yet, and that's okay. And I just need to wait it out until we play Hawaii, until we play uh, Texas Southern and Grambling State and some of these other teams that they've got on the back end in, in the month of December because I think Walker, he's shown, hey, one, he can rebound the basketball really well. He, he skies to the board. He's very athletic. Really long armed. Uh, his scoring hasn't necessarily come yet, but he can rebound and he can defend. And the last couple games, he had eight rebounds against UT Arlington. He had three in 16 minutes, uh, against Houston. And the big thing was fouls. That was why he couldn't play against Fresno State. He fouled out in 11 minutes against Boise State. He had three against Memphis in five minutes. Uh, but the last two games, 22 minutes, no fouls against UT Arlington, 3,016 minutes against Houston, and he's rebounding the ball better. His defense is better. He's gotten the block. He's not turning the ball over, which he had three turnovers in his first three games in less than 27 minutes. So I mean, that he, he, he just needs time on the floor, and having that, that maturity level to understand that, is going to be key for him because once he gets things figured out, you could tell that's going to be a guy that could be the wild card for this team. If he can get going and can give you five or six points off the bench and can give you four or five rebounds a game, all of a sudden now Oregon goes up another level in college basketball. All right. It's going to be, we should mention that the women are also playing in a big tournament right now, kind of in the same part of the world. They're playing in the Virgin Islands at the Paradise Jam. They'll play Oklahoma State on Thursday, UT Arlington on Friday, then the big one. And unfortunately, this kind of overlaps with the Civil War. They will play Louisville on Saturday at 12-15. Louisville is also ranked in the top 10. So that's a game from the, the women's perspective that it's going to be maybe hard for you to catch if you're also following the the, the, men's, the football team. But uh, something that, like, if, if you're a diehard women's basketball fan, that's that's probably the first big test of this season um, for the number one ranked Ducks. And, and like Matt said earlier, Oregon plays Seton Hall at 6.30 on Wednesday. And then we'll play either Gonzaga or Southern Miss. And if it's Gonzaga, if they, that would be uh, difficult for, for this particular person uh, speaking currently because I, I am a Gonzaga alumni, and this would be the uh, the school I, I, I 
grew up watching in, in Oregon and going against the school that I, I graduated college from uh, on Thursday. And that's something that I don't even know the history in terms of like when the last time Oregon played Gonzaga, but it's probably been 20 years or so. Uh, Matt might know that one. And then on, on and up there are guaranteed a, a third game on Friday um, against a, a couple of different potential opponents. Yeah, this is – I I don't think it's going to happen. I think they'll lose maybe one one game, maybe two um, in Battle for Atlantis. But I think there's a real possibility where on Monday we wake up and we do a story that Oregon has the number one ranked women's basketball team and also the number one ranked men's mm-hmm. basketball team in the country. Because think about it. Like Oregon's probably going to be a, a two – Maybe a three-point favorite um, over Seton Hall on Wednesday, I would think. Uh, and then against Gonzaga, if they play, if they play Gonzaga, I would, I would think probably Gonzaga is going to be a two or a three-point favorite in that one. But it's not like, oh wow, they're they're completely far above higher than Oregon is in the pecking order. Like Oregon will have a chance to win that game. Uh, if those two teams play, and then if, if Oregon gets through that and plays a North Carolina in the championship game, I think the Tar Heels will probably be a four or a five point favorite. And enough where it's like if they if Oregon wins, it's not going to be, you know, the biggest shock in the world. Um, so I I really think like there could be a possibility. Best case scenario, Oregon runs through three top twelve teams in the country, beats all three of them. I don't know how you don't vote Oregon number one in the in the AP poll if that were to happen. So. I mean, there's, we could learn a, a ton and Oregon could also secure a huge amount of cachet for the NCAA tournament as they build their resume and it's not even December yet. And it would be bizarre if the Oregon women somehow lost to Louisville on Saturday, which could theoretically happen. And you have the Oregon men ranked higher in their poll than the women in their poll. So, uh, it's a huge, I mean, it's a huge week in terms of, we did a podcast about the football, you know, program a couple of them obviously this week. It's a huge week for both basketball programs. Yep. Both play three games. Both play some really tough opponents. Opportunities to learn, I think, a ton about both programs that are, you know, we probably haven't spoken a ton about this, but like both programs that could legitimately compete for 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 some big, pretty special stuff in, in March and April of this year. So keep at it with the basketball stuff, man. It's it's about to get really fun. Yeah, basketball season's going to kick into full gear, especially once football uh, plays their Pac-12 championship game, and then after that, it's you know, until Oregon plays their bowl game. Uh, it'll be a, a big focus on both these basketball teams. Uh, lots to watch with both of them. Uh, we'll do a little bit more basketball-centric podcasts here in the next couple of weeks as we continue to gear up more and more uh, for the full slate of college basketball and football wraps up. So uh, for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Frame, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Adios, amigos.